Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hello, Peter. How are you? Doing great. Survived the the snowpocalypse in Scotland. Yeah, it's Ithaqua, right? He's he. It's the old one that brings the snow. Yeah, well, maybe they could bring a bit less next time. It feels like a long time since we've recorded together. Yeah, it it does feel like that. Yeah, uh, I don't know what else to say to that. <laughs> I, I was going to try and make some kind of time related oh, joke. Oh right, I see. But I actually couldn't think of one. <laughs> You'd make a great comic. Yeah, before before trust we me, guys, try and it was going to be that, really funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we could just go back in time and I could land this joke. Now, I'm, I'm making these these references, listener, but they'll mean nothing to you at the moment. But when you listen to this episode for a second time, it will all become clear. We've got a really really great thing to do here. We've got a card from Dim Carcosa that. Fantasy Flight Games have incredibly kindly sent us to announce to the community, which is a little bit similar to what we did with Storm of Spirits from the Unspeakable Oath. So we've got another card, but we thought that this episode we could do more than just a card announcement. And in the second half of the episode, we're going to talk about the path to Carcosa so far, how the cycle's going, where we think the story's going to go, and generally sort of touch in with a bit of a broader discussion about where we're at with Carcosa, just because we have the final pack coming out probably later this month, and it'll be nice to touch in. Does that tally with what you're expecting, Peter? <laughs> that tallies perfectly with what I'm expecting. So un- un- unlike normal, I'm actually uh, I'm recording somewhere where, where the cats are lounging. So. Are you just distracted by the, the well, cats? Well, just going to make sure they're not going to... Sort of, one of them always looks at me with, a, with disdain in his eyes, no matter what I'm doing, so... Just trying to avoid his glare. That's taking you off your stride. You're yeah. about to say something and then you look up and there's a cat <laughs> glaring at you. Don't Maybe say I won't say that. Yeah. Don't say that, Peter. <laughs> yeah. Right. Enough chit-chat. Let us get into this card discussion. So, so this is quite exciting. It's, it's an interesting... I think the card is pretty out there, so it's going to be a good one for us to have a chat about. Yeah, it's it's the kind of card that if we if I was just unboxing this by myself i would probably say something like oh my goodness i can't even get my head around this card i'm going to talk to peter about this later so i'm really glad that we're revealing this at a time when we actually can talk about it as well yeah and also that we've we've both had a few days to, to think about the card and understand it figure out how it works because it's a, it's a, i think it's a lot to take in at once yeah and we've even got a step further than that we've actually been in touch with matt newman just to ask a couple of preliminary questions, which is exactly what we did with Storm of Spirits, just to check that things that we think this card can and can't do, it does in fact do or doesn't do those things, just to make sure that we don't get so excited about something that actually doesn't work, like Double or Nothing with Storm of Spirits, making sure that that is a viable thing to do. All right. We sort of, yeah, we've prevaricated around the bush quite a bit. We've wasted time. We might even say we've wasted time. If only, Frank, we could go back and correct that. If we were playing Arkham, <laughs> would there be a way of doing that, Peter? Shall I read the card out? Yes, why not? Okay, what we have here is a Mystic card. It's one cost and uh, two experience, so level two. It is an event, and it is called Time Warp. It has the spell and paradox traits, and it says, Fast. 
play immediately after an investigator at your location finishes resolving an action during his or her turn. Undo that action. Return the game state to exactly the way it was before that action was performed, including that action's cost. Mind blown. You'll all just notice I didn't read out any icons there, because it doesn't have any. It's a no-icon event for Mystics. The art is uh, a sundial with what looks like a sort of winged creature as the support for the sundial's main piece, but it's sort of amazing purple galaxy underneath it, which is just incredible, really. It's maybe one of the most beautiful Arkham cards I've seen. It's a really gorgeous bit of art. So so let, let's look at this. The, 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 the crux of it is uh, you undo the action you've just done and return the game state to exactly the way it was before that action was performed. So that means, yeah. at, at its most basic level, if you take a test of any sort and you pull a token you don't want to see, you play this and you go back to how the game was before you pulled the token. So any cards you've committed or resources you spent boosting your skill, all that is undone. What you did is undone. Which is which is just incredible, right? Yes. I mean, it's not incredible if you've just done a test, pulled the Elder Sign, added a charge to a spell that you control as a catchy, and then somehow a time warping. So there's there's definitely scope for not wanting to undo something that's gone well. But I love this thought that you take a test and you you know, you say that the one thing that's gonna mess me up here is the tentacle. Yeah. <laughs> and even if you draw that tentacle, you can go back in time and take the test again. The weird thing about it being a paradox card is obviously you're going back in time, but then you don't have to necessarily follow through the same steps again. You can take that action and do something else instead, which, yeah, starts to really hurt my head as I start to think about it. I've never been good at time travel films and getting my head around what's what's happening, whether it's a branching timeline or a linear timeline. But yeah, this this provides something like that as well. So the other example you gave me that I loved was the idea that if you if you draw in your turn and say you draw into Overzealous on the top of your deck and you have to draw an encounter card and then that surges into another encounter card, another player could then play Time Warp on you and you put Overzealous back on the top of your deck and return the two encounter cards to the top of the encounter deck and then you have this window to choose to not draw instead and if you've got a way of forcing a shuffle for your deck, you can make sure that Overzealous is no longer at the top of your deck, which is fantastic. So the same applies for something like a Delve Too Deep. So if, if you've drawn a Delve Too Deep, or, or you've played a Delve Too Deep, sorry, and someone's drawn an encounter card that they can't deal with, use your, use your Time Warp to undo that. And it's even better if you then have... Because what happens is you'll just put the cards back on, on top of the deck, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you've got a way of, of, of shuffling the encounter deck or if you've drawn an overzealous in your deck and you don't want to, you know, if you've got a way of shuffling that deck, you would do that and then use the action anyway. Precisely. And the, the important thing there is that you, you return the game state to exactly the way it was before that action was performed. So you're actually getting a bit of information that you didn't have before. If you end up seeing four cards from the encounter deck because you've played Delve, they're going back in that order and you know what's coming. So it's it's worked as a sort of pseudo scry in that you actually have some information. Obviously, if there's then a shuffle, you lose that. But 
there is that sort of useful information there. One of the things we talked about with this was playing it if you you if you move into a location that was unrevealed and that is revealed to have some sort of nasty thing like go and fetch this big enemy or take a certain test and if you fail you take damage or horror or something like that. You know, some locations they do have punishing effects when you reveal them. And you can use time warp to step into a location realize that it's a horrible location and return back to where you were so you've gained a little bit of information about that location and you can choose not to go in or choose to send someone in in front of you say or or, or i tell you what frank if you're in a, a scenario like the unspeakable oath there's mm. a series of locations where you're looking for a particular location out of many and they have an additional cost to enter them so say you go yeah. into a scenario it turns out it's into a location sorry turns out it's the wrong location well, you never did it. <laughs> you, yeah. You, you you knew that the place you were going to go into would be the wrong one, so you pick you get to pick another one. Yeah. There's a similar thing in the Pallid Mask. There's a location that you really don't just want to bumble into. And if you're the one doing the exploring, you've got this safety net in your hand for one resource that you can rewind that if you need to, which is, yeah, it's incredible. If you're a seeker and you pathfind into a location, you're saving the action to go in, but you still have to sort of deal with the consequences of that move whereas with time warp you don't even have to deal with the consequences you can just go okay no i didn't mean to go there i'm going somewhere else instead so so yeah it's it's very powerful in that way let's talk about who can take this card so it's a level two mystic card which means it's not a pure mystic card it's not gated to people who can only take up to level five mystic cards so all of our mystics can take this so agnes jim Akachi and Marie can all take it. And then anyone with Mystic as a secondary class can take it, which is Daisy and Safina. Yeah. And Norman. And Norman. And also Lola. Yes. Very good point. Don't forget Lola. So there's there's quite a, a broad range of people who can take this card. I don't think it, it cries out with any of those investigators, particularly apart from Seth, where obviously if you could get this card underneath Seth, you've got yeah. potentially multiple time warps to play if you wanted to. You'd be playing this really defensive style of play where you it sort of it starts to act a little bit like a lucky, doesn't it? You can take tests where you're not too far above the threshold, knowing that if things go dreadfully wrong or you pull a special symbol, you've got the time warp in hand to just redo it or or at least not do it at all. Even better, I've found, I don't know whether you're the same, with Zephanet, you tend to be, in some situations, you're putting a load of skill cards into a test. So you might have a test where you've got watch this and double or nothing in there. When, yeah. after playing a backstab or something like that. So you, you'll have you'll have stacked loads of cool effects together. And then, yeah. obviously, you're in a situation where if you draw the technical, that's 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 not great news. But this, it allows that, that trickery that Wendy can do, which is just to redraw a token for a second bite at the cherry. You're, you're spot on. You're spot on. It is exactly what I said earlier, that you, you want that protection from a tentacle and one of the challenges for that rogue combo deck of piling in your succeed by two pieces or whatever it is, is that one bad token pull derails the whole flow of it. And this is a contingency plan for that. 
and it's a contingency plan that isn't just that you sort of scrape through it actually allows you to get all of those cards back into your hand any resources you committed to pay for a backstab or a streetwise pump or something like that all come back to you and you can either go again or you can actually change tack and do something else or whatever it is one of the other things i like this for i think is you might you you sometimes find yourself in a situation where you have a slightly riskier plan for dealing with the situation, which, if it doesn't work, leaves you worse off. Or you have a safer way, which which hurts your tempo because you're either using more actions or you're not making progress. So what you could do with Time Warp is, well, we'll have a crack at doing this. We'll, we'll try the double or nothing punch on the big bad guy. And if that doesn't work, we've, we've at least got this, and then we can evade it and figure out another plan instead. Yeah spot on that's that's precisely one of the challenges i come up against a lot in solo you can end up being a little bit mobbed and the thinking is like if i can just get through these two enemies everything will settle down again and particularly if you're playing someone say like jenny who obviously couldn't take this card but i'm going to use her as an example anyway sometimes i'm tempted to do an evade and then move on or whatever it is or elusive out of there and i go well i'm not actually I'm running away from my problems. I'm not actually resolving them in the long term. These hunter enemies are going to catch up with me at some point. And the trickier thing is fighting my way through. But sometimes I'll be even worse off if I try and fight my way through and end up failing one of those tests or, you know, generally things just sort of start to escalate in the wrong direction. With time warp available, it's exactly as you say. You can try that risky play. If I just land this one, you know, vicious blow hit, that's one enemy out of the way, and we can then start working on this big bad. It's even better than an effect like uh, Wendy's ability because Wendy only lets you redraw a token for the test, so effectively doubles the chance of succeeding at that test. Or does it double it? Yeah. With this, you go back to not having taken the test in the first place and decide, again, if you still want to take that test, bearing in mind the results of the first one. Yeah. One of the things we've ended up focusing on here is this idea that you'd undo a test. And I can see that this card might come get a little bit... One of the ways people might not be too hot on this card is this idea of why would you be taking tests that are risks anyway, and why not just you know, a good player would plan to take the tests they need to plan so they wouldn't be being Wendy and doing an unboosted combat test, say, or being skids and not boosting their willpower, for instance. So in a way, having a safety net card like this, the challenge will be finding those times where it really improves what you're doing as investigators rather than just allows you to continue treading water. So the the card says, immediately after an investigator at your location finishes resolving an action during his or her turn, we have some cards and some encounter cards that will end your turn immediately. Can you still play it for your own test for that action? Do you see what I'm trying to say? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Thanks, Frank. Because <laughs> you're, you're very welcome. Because what's striking about time warp and this is one of the things we wanted clarified time warp doesn't say play during your turn it just says play after an investigator finishes an action so if you've triggered one of those effects yourself as the time warper that has ended your turn so for instance um failing a test on essex by pulling a cultist 
means you immediately lose your actions and end your turn. You can still play Time Warp after that, because you're, the triggering timing point for Time Warp is playing immediately after an investigator finishes resolving an action. Similarly, the other really good example, I think, is if you've pulled any of the special symbols on a Rite of Seeking test, they'll yeah. end your turn, but you can then still play Time Warp as a reaction to that action resolving, even though that action has ended your turn. And yeah, Matt has clarified for us that it's not just play only during your turn. So you can essentially use right of seeking first action, try and grab some clues and move on. And that's obviously one of the challenges for a mystic is that you, with good play, you want to be taking those right of seeking tests later in a turn so that if you lose your remaining actions, it's not as punishing. But sometimes there are times where you want to investigate a location first and then move on. You don't want to find things to do for two actions. So speaking of funny mystic cards like Right of Seeking that do weird things, the other sort of edge case rules question that I'd love to hear your answer to, Peter, is about scrying or other cards that sort of manipulate the order of a deck quantum flux as well what do you do then if you've if you've scried reorganized a deck and then you play time warp how how are you supposed to proceed in that case so yeah first of all very good question frank thank you thank you uh, i think so we, we had a chat with matt about this and the, the key takeaway is if you can't return the game state to exactly the way it was before the action was performed the effect fails and, and none of it is done. So as far as you can, you need to return things to the same order. So if I've scried, I need to remember what order they were beforehand and then return to that order. If I can't remember, then the effect on the time warp fails. Okay. If you've drawn a card with a time warp and then you time warp that action where you drew the card, the card just goes back on the top of your deck. Or if you've played a cryptic research to draw three cards... Three cards? Yeah. I always yeah. do this when I record. I get. I, I think it's, it's three cards. Oh, wait, no, is it four? No, it's three. Yes, it's four XP. Yeah. Four XP, three cards. I think that happened in, in one of the past episodes as well. I had the exact same like brain malfunction. So you, draw, <laughs> you draw three cards, and then those three cards go back on the top of your deck in the same order. Yeah, if you've played Cryptic Research as a fast action, sort of midway through your a skill test that you're taking or something like that. The, the the other situation is where you don't know the order of the cards. So if you if you found if you played a um, a no stone unturned, for instance, and or, or a research librarian found a particular card, added it to your hand, and then shoveled your deck. Now you you don't have to memorize the entire order of your deck. If it's a if it's a random area where you didn't know the order of the cards already, keeping those in a random order is fine. Okay, so I've got 20 cards in my deck face down that I don't know of. And then if I've somehow drawn a card from there that wasn't the top card, if Time Warp is played, I can just shuffle that back in and that's okay because it's still then 20 unknown face down cards. Is that right? Yes. You didn't know the order before and you don't know the order afterwards. So this game state is effectively the same. Okay. That's, I think, very useful to note because... The alternative is that there are 20 face-down cards that you sort of should know the order to, but you don't while you're playing. But if you play effects, that you know, that could get really complicated. Yeah. I mean, it would work fine in a, in a computer game. 
because the, the computer could handle all that. But in a card game, we've also got to remember them. I struggle to remember, you know, what card I just drew, let alone what order the entire 20 cards in my deck were. So yeah. you, you did mention yeah. another card, which makes this, which is slightly more confusing, which is Quantum Flux. Yeah. So Quantum Flux, you play it, you remove it from the game, and you shuffle your discard pile into your deck and then draw a card. So what we said earlier was, if you can't return the the game state to how it was before, it doesn't work. So with Quantum Flux, you have to find all the cards in your deck that were in your discard pile, put them back into your discard pile, and then shuffle your deck. Okay. So... I mean, recently, even on on my think on the feet, think on your feet series, I've used Quantum Flux to shuffle back in ten or twelve cards. So then it gets kind of tricky if you're trying to track a significant proportion of your deck. Now, what I would recommend people do if they're keen to combo Quantum Flux and their Time Warp, what that combo achieves, I'm not quite sure. But, <laughs> but I, I would say maybe what, what we want to do is put your discard just. Put it on top of your deck, rotating ninety degrees. I oh, know because you need to draw the card, don't you? Mm, yeah. Oh, you have to write them down. You'd have to. The only thing you can do is write them down, or, or get a, a you know a thirty-sided die and use that to select the card that you draw, and then shuffle it off. The only time you'd want to time warp a quantum flux that I can think of is that you play Quantum Flux, you shuffle in your deck, which means your weaknesses are back in your deck, and then the top card that you draw off your deck is a crippling weakness. Yes. At which point you go, no, I wish I hadn't done that, and you want to Time Warp. Yeah. But if you already had Time Warp in hand, or knew a playing partner had Time Warp, you'd have to just think carefully before you Flux, I imagine, or you memorise what's in your discard pile. Or you could, you could, you could turn the cards 180 degrees, maybe. So you can find them, find them easier. Okay, yeah, that's a that's a nice way of doing it. Yeah. Anyway, I honestly can't imagine this is a situation that's going to come up too much. I think we. I mean, I, I hope Matt doesn't mind me quoting him when he when he says this, but I, I sort of got the feeling he he appreciates there might be some weird interactions with specific cards, but broadly the effect is so cool that it's worth those rules questions. Yeah, I think so too. And he pointed out to us that one of the traits here is paradox on this card, and that that does mean that things happen that don't quite make sense. The only other time we've seen the paradox trait is in Labyrinths of Lunacy, and there are these effects that seem to yeah, break the way the game works, not simply in a I've got an extra action I shouldn't have done, but just seem to really um, hurt one's head as you try to work, work them out. Yeah. And yeah, the, the, the key takeaway from all of this is that if you can't return the game state to the way it was before you played Time Warp, Time Warp fails. Exactly. So you're, yeah, it's, it's either a full reset or no, no reset. That's the key thing to remember. And of course, Time Warp always will end up in your bin afterwards as well. You don't, Time Warp isn't an infinite card, so it doesn't undo the fact that you played it. God, that's a very good point as well. Yeah, yeah. The time warping is happening after the action that you're everything re-warping. up to, but not including playing time warp. <laughs> good, good clarification. So yeah, I mean, it's actually even quite fun talking about the rules implications of this card. I think it's great. I really like it. I do too. I think 
I, so I just have, I think I've told you about this before, but to, to put it on a recording as well, I've been playing as Norman and I bought the level two ward of protection for my Norman deck, which I can play on any investigator. And there was a time when it was sitting at the top of, it was the top card of my deck. So my playing partner could see that it was there. And that provided such a great feeling of security that as he leant to take his card during the mythos phase, he knew that he could kind of waggle his eyebrows at me if he wanted <laughs> me to cancel it because he knew I had it available and I could play it for free because I'd be getting Norman's discount at the start of the round. And just that feeling of security from having some sort of effect that protects you. And similarly, he was he was playing Yorick, so he has luckies in his deck and he sometimes would take tests where he was one above or evens because you know you, you sort of recognize when a player has something in hand that's going to help them out they're not committing as much as you maybe would expect or something like that and this card time warp to me just really strikes me in the same way as that really powerful safety net card it's probably why it has no icons and i think particularly as scenarios get harder and making mistakes could be punished more and more this card just gets stronger and stronger. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's 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 a really good use of two experience as well. Speaking of scenarios getting harder and the consequences of decisions getting more and more weighty, this is a little Black Stars Rise point. So listener, if you've not played Black Stars Rise yet, maybe skip ahead 30 seconds. But that's your warning. Okay, I'm going to make this point. You can use the free triggers on the agendas in Black Stars Rise to advance the agenda, and there might be times when you realise you've advanced the wrong one. And if you use that free trigger during an action, so during a skill test, say, you can then time warp and take back the skill test that you were taking, a right of seeking or a fight or whatever it was, and actually undo the agenda advancing as well, which is incredible. Yeah, yeah, and and that applies to playing cards during fast cards during say a skill test as well yes exactly if you've if you've started to take an investigate action and then used pathfinder to move so that you're at a different location and then committed a quick thinking that's going to give you an extra action and all of these other things you can unwind all of that with a time warp if the if the person with the time warp is at the right location to time warp you so i think I've said everything I want to say about Time Warp. What about you, Peter? Yeah, I, uh, I'm really looking forward to using it <laughs> in a deck. I think it's, Me too. It's, it's a really interesting effect. It's, it's quite unique. I don't... In the competitive games I've played... Now, obviously, in a competitive game, you need to be quite tight with the rulings that everyone needs to know exactly how all the cards are going to work. Time Warp almost feels like... It's like a bit of an experiment. I can put this in my deck. I'm not sure how it's going to work. And we might have yeah. to sit and put our heads together around the table when I do play it. And people might yeah. have to try and try and write things down or, or, or whatever when we play. And I think that's quite fun in a co-op game. I think so too. I think you've hit on two like really striking things about this card. One is I find it really hard to picture the applications when it will be really stellar, which to me, that's always a sign that I just need to put it in a desk and deck and try it then. And then the second thing is, I didn't know I wanted an effect like this. This just came completely out of the blue. But now that I've seen it, it just makes me even more excited about this game that, yeah, Mystics could really start 
to push at the boundaries of time and space with their cards if they have weird effects like this. You know, imagine if they start getting cards that say force enemies to move or swap one encounter card with another encounter card or swap two locations, whatever it is. You know, it just it's just a reminder that mystics are bananas and they get really weird effects. Yes. Very exciting. It's uh, it's interesting that the two cards that uh, Fantasy Flight have sent us to, to preview have both been Mystic cards, and they've both had these big showy effects. Yeah, both been Mystic events. They know that we like our events, yeah. and we like our Mystics. And this one's a yeah. fast fast card for me. Zing! Yeah, Hopefully. I've only had a picture of a fire axe on it. Yeah, and, and then the name, so... was, the name was a quote. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Maybe it should be time in quotes. Time warp. <laughs> Great. So I think that's everything we're going to say about Time Warp now. If you want to take a look at the card, we've put it up on Facebook on our page, which is Drawn to the Flame. If you search for that on Facebook, you'll find the card. And then what I'm going to do as well is I'm, I've am i scheduled it to try and get uploaded on ArkhamDB as well. So hopefully that'll get pushed shortly. And as soon as it's up, I'll go in and put some of the weirder rules queries from Matt as FAQs on the card because I'm sure there'll be people who look at it and go, huh? And maybe haven't listened to our episode or missed a bit of the episode or have their own questions. So hopefully having those answers up there will help. I can guarantee someone will come up with some random question we never thought of and it'll be, it'll have us all sitting around scratching our heads. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And if if you've got any ideas for putting this in your deck or, or what other uses you can have that we haven't touched on, uh, just drop us a message or drop us an email or comment on our Facebook page. I think we're both really excited about this card, so we're happy to, to yeah. chat to people about it. And hey, we've not even touched on the trolling potential of this card <laughs> as well. You're going to stick this in your Sephina Grief deck. Exactly. Combined with forcing everyone to delve for no XP because you're using Painted Weld on delve. If the encounter card they draw is too nice, you can undo the delve and then play it again. Yeah, you watch your playing buddy as they go, oh, that was a... got off easy on that one. No, nope. Did you? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> draw again. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. They, they land that lucky Elder Sign shotgun blast that finishes off the enemy. No they, they? no, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened in the good timeline. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's sort of the the style of of person playing. It's like the sort of needy mystic who needs to be the star of the show <laughs> and keeps stopping other people from succeeding. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited to hear people's stories about that. I think it's going to prompt some horrible decks. <laughs> okay, so. That is us finished talking about Time Warp. Great. Should we talk for a little bit about the Path to Carcosa? Yes, let's. So if you haven't played all of Carcosa yet, listener... Can, can I come in with a, with a confession here as well? Please. I'm currently a scenario behind. As listeners in the UK might be aware, There's there's been a little bit of bad weather this week. And in fact, my car is still stuck in the driveway. So I haven't been able to get together with my regular playing group to get through it. Now, I, c- I could have just played it myself, played it solo, but I like to play these scenarios for the first time with the group I've gone through the rest of the campaign with. Yeah, and you and that's your kind of your blind playthrough group, which is, it's understandable that you want to save it for that group. Yes, absolutely, yeah. 
So, but I I do know broadly what happens as I was sleeving up the cards. I, I I've read the setup instructions. So, although I don't know fully the, the full setup of what happens during the scenario, I think I broadly know what the what what the idea is. So, listener, we're going to go into our discussion of Carcosa so far. So if you're one of those people who hasn't caught up yet with packs or you know maybe got a couple to go or you're waiting to all of them, this is probably going to be more or less the time to turn off. But just before you go, thank you so much for the response for our Drawn to the Flame event that's coming up at the end of March, I think March the 25th. At the time of recording, we have one space free. So if you've looked and thought, oh, I'm sure all of those spaces are full... It might be worth sending in an email just to check. And chances are someone might drop out that we weren't expecting at the last minute. So it might be worth if you just think you might be around getting on the waiting list anyway. For the people who've already replied, thank you so much for signing up. I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be really great. And the other great thing is, even if there are only 11 players, either I can step in or we can just play with 11 and one team will be a three-player team. So, yeah, either way, it's going to be awesome. I'm already super excited and we've got (laughs) three weeks to go until we play. But, yeah, it's going to be really cool. You're you're teleporting down for it, right, Peter? Uh, Well, if I can, if I get the the teleportarium set up, I'll be be jumping in. Get the cats on it. Yeah. There's no chance they're going to do anything. <laughs> they're both looking at you lazily. Thinking, well, I think Sinclair literally hasn't moved since I started recording. He's <laughs> quite possibly the laziest cat in the world. Not like Foolishness, who we know is a very active and, yeah. and energetic cat. So, this path to Carcosa then. What's that all about, Frank? Yeah, and how far along it are you? Have you got there yet? <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're not quite there. So the the thing that struck me, because we, we haven't talked about Carcosa at all so far, have we, in terms of the story? Not really, no, no. So w- what are your feelings on the the kind of the feel of the narrative so far, Frank? What's really struck me has been how much story text there is, how much more we're encouraged to sort of delve into the story as things are described. Thinking back to Dunwich, I know it's we shouldn't always just compare it to the Dunwich legacy because it's really got a standalone, it's its own campaign. But one of the things that is striking is that in Dunwich, some of the story text was just, you know, X happened in the previous scenario, now Y is happening, move on. And in Carcosa, the story text feels, to me, more immersive. It's obviously longer. There's a bit more time to really sort of sink into the story. And... I've been really enjoying that. I feel like the text on agendas, there's often been, and acts, there's often been more sort of of this sense of, it's interesting because really the sense it wants to give us is that we're not really sure what's going on. Yeah. But that feeling is very compelling and seems to be conjured really quite effectively, certainly for me as a player. I I completely agree. And, And more so than Dunwich, we've been talking about, so, so you, in, Dunwich, we only talked about the kind of the surface of the story. So who who was who, where were they going and why were they doing that? In Carcosa, we've been talking more about what's real and what isn't. What does this mean? What do you think the significance of this particular event in the story is? Yeah, I think of a scenario like A Phantom of Truth and just this idea of arriving in Paris and 
dashing around at night and there's this 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 sort of dreamy quality to what's going on and either you're being pursued by something or you're doing the pursuing but either way it feels kind of fraught and in mechanical terms that scenario is not too complicated i'd say but in in the way it feels in in terms of atmosphere it feels almost like you're underwater that it's just so kind of weird and strange and it's really striking to me that that that's happening in the same game that had kind of the house always wins and extracurricular activities we've now got this sort of weird dreamlike paris that yeah i've I've bought into a lot one of the things i loved in i think pallid mask especially i've i think it's one of my favorite scenarios for a lot of reasons i think mechanically it's quite interesting but it's weird how the mechanics tie into the narrative aspect as well like you say paris doesn't it feels kind of weird and dreamy and that's yeah emphasized by the fact the catacombs change every time you go there my map my map of the catacombs can be completely different to your map of the catacombs and each time i go it will be completely different and depending on how i go into it as well i might approach it differently yeah yeah and even as you explore the catacombs the the investigators themselves are creating the catacombs based on their own decisions which is also this weird mirroring of what we're doing as players if you've got two locations in play and you choose which one to go to that the the choice you make will have more options afterwards because normally the catacombs locations add new ones so you can you can force the catacombs to grow in the direction of your choosing more or less which is it's really weird but i really like it It, it, it's really compelling it feels a lot like a lot of other things i enjoy so i mentioned to you it's a bit like warhammer quest back back yes. in, the, in the good old days where you're you're moving into a new location and you're laying down a new tile then uh or, or yeah. there's, there's there's a sub part of of, of bloodborne where you're ex- exploring these chalice dungeons and it feels quite similar to that as well because they, they almost spread out on a on a grid-like pattern and they're, they're randomized as well so they're different every time you explore them okay yeah that yeah it it, it also for things that I enjoy, it reminds me of the the roguelike games that I enjoy playing that are procedurally generated, and yeah. to have that in the card form and for it not to just it it feels. I think the thing that's striking about it is it's not that you just shuffle up the catacombs deck and then just lay it out in a three by five grid. It's that you shuffle it up and then depending on where you move, that triggers the creation of the map, and that is the thing that I really like about it. It's really, really striking. And that's just, I love, it just feels like a weirdly claustrophobic scenario, that well, scenario. The thing that, that struck me when we played it is this feeling of being underground, of being of deep underground. And that's quite an oppressive feeling. I've, I've been to the catacombs in Paris and it actually I was surprised how much the real catacombs made me, made me feel quite anxious. <laughs> Uh, I, I yeah. thought it would just be a, an interesting thing to walk around, but actually, when you get there, the, the the closeness of it and just the sheer quantity of death around you, it's it's quite oppressive, and you have this 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 strong feeling because you go down all these stairs to get in there, and you know how the air feels. You feel very deep underground, and this is, they managed to reflect that in the scenario as well. Is it possible, Peter, that we're now dead as investigators? Well, I mean, who knows, really? <laughs> uh, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Frank, and there is this 
dichotomy in the campaign between conviction and doubt. Yeah. And this is, we talked about this as whether your character is happy to go along with what's happening or is not happy to go along with what's happening. If you see what I'm trying to say. So so give me an example. At the end of Curtain Call, you've got two options. Go to the police or solve it on your own. Well, uh, I was going to say a better example is maybe the end of uh, The Last King. Okay. Where you pick between... You, go, you can go back to the party, which gives you yeah. doubt, or you can barricade the house and burn everyone in it. Yeah. So the doubt is you don't believe what you were seeing is real. So you go back to the party and see what was, see if you there was really monsters there. Yeah. Conviction is you trust what you're seeing and you barricade the doors and you're like, right, these monsters have to die. Yeah. So I think that's interesting, that this dichotomy, but it's it's entirely within what my character thinks. Whether me as a player believes what's happening is real or not is separate from from, from that. <laughs> yes. I did a little graph because that's it's it's uh, it's orthogonal to the the dichotomy of conviction and doubt is whether things are a illusion or a reality so whether i as as a player believe what's happening is real or not is separate from what my character believes so i could believe what my character is seeing is real but maybe my character doesn't believe that okay yeah i'm, I'm with you so far so if you were plotting this on a graph it wouldn't just have uh, an x and y axis that would just positive that be a kind of negative it would be four quadrants is that yeah. the right terminology so say if me as a player as peter hopkins believes what is happening is is all fake but my character thinks it's real that's a sign that they're deluded so yeah. they're they're fighting monsters that they think are real but i think don't exist on the flip side you might get a character who believes it's real but also i think these monsters really exist as well so they're actually, they're, 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 I could, you could call them righteous. So they're off fighting monsters, trying to banish them, which is the right thing to do. So I, th- I think it's interesting. And I think it, it, what's interesting is that it changes depending on particular resolutions you get. I think I had a theory earlier on in the campaign that if you were playing well, the game might not drop any hints to you that what is happening isn't real. So we might have people listening to this who've gone all the way through the campaign so far and they've just taken everything at face value, that there's monsters trying to kill them and they're trying to you know, sort out why they're trying to kill them and stop it from happening. The other thing that then feeds onto that, I suppose, that's sort of striking is that if, you, if a character, is an investigator, is playing well, chopping down everything in front of them, it's a fairly black and white view of what's going on and it doesn't allow for much room that there could be something deeper going on. And one of the things that's really struck me about the doubt route is that the doubt route isn't that you don't necessarily believe that there are monsters in front of you. The doubt route is often that is that you don't believe yourself and you think there's more going on. So that lunacy's reward outcome where you go back into the house, hmm. it's you're, you think you saw monsters and you're trying to tell yourself that there must be something else going on and the outcome you get is that you find the stranger talking to, I think, Nigel Engram in the house. And there's this idea of that there is a plot afoot. So doubt doubt is weird because doubt is not not believing there's a plot. Doubt is not trusting yourself. And that 
instinct of scepticism is actually really valuable for sort of unpicking what's going on within the campaign. And is is there a, a scheme afoot to try and bring he who shall not be named into this realm? Whereas conviction doesn't really question that at all. Conviction says, line them up and I'll knock them down. Well, yeah, in, in a way, conviction is, is you playing as if you're playing the Dormage Legacy. That you're, you're going to the next place and you're, you're convinced that you're right and you kill all the monsters. Yeah. But you don't stop to think about whether what you're killing is a monster. Yeah. And hey, that's one of the, th- you know, I go back to this so often. One of my favourite moments of Dunwich is that seed of doubt placed in your mind as a player about Silas Bishop that he's pitiful it's not that he's monstrous it's that he's in some way a victim and that says that there could be another way and I I just love that moment you know when you're fighting the broods of Yogg-Sothoth there isn't a point of like maybe we could rehabilitate them (laughs) you know that's not that's not a sort of question in my mind but and and I'm not saying that you know I want to help Screeching Bayekis you know, live in a sort of nice resort or something. But uh, there's definitely been more questions in Carcosa about player agency and whether what we've been doing is right or not and things like that. And I've I've really enjoyed that. I like the kind of the pondering point of it. And it feels very, very much on theme for the King in Yellow, the source material. Yeah, yeah, certainly. We were talking then about Last King. One thing that I have was not so hot on at the start of Carcosa and I've really come to enjoy is the importance of those five guests in The Last King. And I think what I like about the importance there is that there's two different things going on. You've got whether or not you interview them that is, we've seen now has had a knock-on effect for the following five scenarios, which is great. But also the decision you've made in Lunacy's Reward will also have given you wildly different scenarios. Trying to get through Unspeakable Oath with Constance Domain hunting towards you from the garden is a very different challenge from trying to get through it without her around because you've dealt with her already. I mean, I'm not going to say I called this at the time, but I <laughs> but I did. <laughs> I, it's It's a really interesting one because I think that's it's it's the fulcrum around which the whole campaign seems to turn that party isn't it yeah and i i suppose i felt i felt a bit like oh really just that scenario two is going to be the fulcrum and the next five scenarios are going to be affected by what we've done there but actually because it's because it's two different things that you could have done at the party that actually really does cast a really satisfying shadow over the rest of the campaign. So for instance, in my most recent, in my Norman and Yorick playthrough, we interviewed three and killed three in the party, but we then didn't choose, we're doing a doubt run, so we didn't choose to then burn down the house. So we're going to have three, two occasions where we're going to have to face crazy monsters down the line and we're going to have three little leg up starts down the line and that's very different from if we'd interviewed none and killed all of them or interviewed all of them and killed none of them or you know whatever it it actually provides a lot of different possible starting points for Carcosan scenarios yeah absolutely i could could not agree more and i think it was i think it was just a great way to kick off the the whole campaign to be perfectly honest 
yeah, once you've been sort of ground into the dirt by curtain call, you then have this amazing <laughs> parlay scenario to pick your spirits up. Speaking of curtain call, curtain call begins with us falling asleep. Is it all a dream? What's a, that, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? I think what I would be really interested in is if whether it's real or not depends on how you've played through the campaign. Maybe some of, for some of the characters it is a dream, for other characters it isn't. Yeah. One of the outcomes in Black Star's Rise has you waking up and the way it's described, it's pretty clear that you're waking up from passing out from things going badly in Black Star's Rise. Mm. But as I was reading it, I thought again of that how much of this has all been a kind of mad fantasy and, you know, a sort of almost like a manic episode where these wild things have happened. And actually, yeah, it's a... You sort of you, In you... itself as an experience, it's not the same as simply, right, back to my normal job in Arkham. It's, <laughs> it's infinitely stranger than that. You're always suspicious of any story which starts with, with the narrator falling asleep. Yeah, yeah. And Matt himself, when we spoke to him after Dunwich, did allude to how cheesy that would be if it was a sort of, and it was all a dream. So he's certainly aware of it. Doesn't mean he won't do it, though. (laughs) Yeah. There's one other thing I noticed starting again recently, which is that there are a couple of references to patrons in the opening text of Curtain Call. And I obviously read that, and that's theatre-goers, that they're they're patrons of the theatre. And I'd always thought of the trait patron meaning a sort of uh, a rich person who's supporting you. So when you think of Dario Elamine or Charles Ross, they're patrons because they support you as an investigator. But I started to connect the word and wonder if there's also something to be said for patrons... You know, are Madame Lebranche and Ren- David Renfield obviously looks like he'd almost be mad, and Darielle Amine and Charles Ross are they actually connected because they have something to do with the King in Yellow as well? And either they've seen bits of it or read bits of it, or it just was an idle thought of mine. I don't know if you if you have strong feelings about it. Well, what's interesting is that whether I agree with you or not, it's it's the paranoia and the doubt of the King in Yellow. Uh, spreading its way through the whole game there. Yeah, so yeah. You, you're, it's you're, already infected us. Yeah, uh, words words are important. The exact words you use can often tell us quite a lot. And I think, I think Matt knows that. I think he will often use a word deliberately to, to evoke a particular feeling. But maybe it's a coincidence. It's hard to tell the difference between the two. Maybe he was writing text to do with theatres because he knew he wanted a theatre scenario, which meant he had that word, you know, at the front of his mind. And then he was also designing cards and he wanted these characters that that provided sort of economic bonuses to investigators. And he just, he thought of it without realising the connection. But I see a connection. I am convinced that there is a link. If by any chance Matt listens to this, if we ever ask him about it, he's going to refuse to answer now because he's going to yeah. like keeping you in the dark. Oh, just like him, eh? <laughs> okay, well, should we 
wrap this one up here as well. Yeah, I think so. I think to sum up how I feel about Carcosa, I'm really excited for the final chapter. But I'm also just so impressed by how it feels replaying it as well. It feels like a really intense, immersive story that I'm really looking forward to experiencing with multiple investigators. So I'm I'm really positive about it. I same here. I cannot wait for the end. I mean, we we we've seen what the next cycle is, and I'm obviously I'm excited about that. But the path to Carcosa has been such a, a singular experience. Um, yeah, it's great. Great. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, listener, head on over to our Facebook page to see Time Warp, if that's something you want to see. Otherwise, you can also contact us on there. We're Drawn to the Flame on Facebook. We're also Drawn to the Flame on Twitter. And we're Drawn to the Flame podcast at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with us about any questions or also if you want to get in touch about our Labyrinths of Lunacy event at the end of the month. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, well, I'm... you you. Unitled everywhere. That's U N I T L E D, and yeah, I'm on. Sorry, the cats were just about to start fighting. This is the peril of having them nearby. If I'm uh, if I'm recording, uh, yeah. So I, I'm on. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Reddit. I'm on Discord. All as Unitled. So say hello. Drop me a message. It'd be great to hear from you. Great. And I'm F B on Twitter. That's E P H underscore B E E, and I'm around the places. Zooey Glass or Zozo. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. I also need to say thank you to my friend Andy, who made the rather awesome Time Warp Encounter teaser card be used earlier in the week. Thanks, Andy. Took you quite a while to figure out what the card was actually going to be. But yeah, thanks for your help. Sorry, there's a cat scratch. Microphone's back in. Bear with me a second. He's like, oh, the Carcosa chat. Let me in. Mm-hmm.